Long. Way outside for the three. It's good. He got it. It's good. Season for Texas, they finished 34 and 0. The number one ranked team from beginning to end, winning their first NCAA championship. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Texas 24 podcast on the Dave Campbell's Podcast Network. I'm Matthew Bruni, and joining me once again is Ishmael Johnson. Ish, how are you doing today? I am doing good. It is state championship week for us at football. Um, so this is going to be a pretty busy week for me. Uh, locked up in AT&T for about four days. So that's going to be fun. But until then, I'm okay to talk some basketball. Yeah, of course. Of course. I mean, this is... I don't want to put pressure on us or anything, but this might be the the biggest podcast we have of this season to this Probably point. Probably so far. I mean, and yeah, it might be until 2022. It's, it, this, is, this is going to be a loaded podcast. We got uh, Baylor, Texas, um, Houston men's, and then we got on the other side a stunner where t- TCU takes down Texas A&M. We're going to get to all that, um, but we got to start with Baylor. And I have a lot of thoughts on this, but just in the general sense, Baylor beats Villanova 57 to 36. Yes, 36 points for Villanova. They hold Villanova to 12 of 54 shooting, 22%. Uh, while they didn't have a great offense again, they still, still shot 39%, which isn't awful, but um, it's all about the defense. Scott Drew's done it again. They are now 9 and 0. They are now number one in the AP poll, which was released today when we were recording this on a Monday afternoon. And I have come on this podcast a couple of times this year, I think, or even before the season, we were both like, you know, they're, they're going to be good, but there's going to be a drop off. Obviously you lose that much talent. You're going to, there's, there's no way that you're going to be like that great again. And while they might not be that great at yet, they are the number one seed in the country right now, which I can't believe. Yeah, I, oh, geez, this to me was like the validation of of what Scott Drew's done. Um, because last year, I guess the past couple of years, it seemed more like that they had the right marriage of players, right? It just seemed like that was a team that just flowed so well that it was, I don't want to say it was lightning in a bottle, but it did feel like that was kind of a one-off, right? Where you're like, oh man, they just had such great guard play. Uh, the forwards were were nimble and somebody like a Mark Vidal who's undersized but could switch and could, you know, uh, body up any other, any uh, post player bigger than him. And, you know, I thought it would be an adjustment because they didn't bring a lot back. They had, of course, they bring in James Akinjo, who's, I mean, it was, this is my first time watching a full game of this Baylor team this year just because they haven't really played anybody. So I didn't yeah. feel the need to watch them. And so it was my first time really watching James Akinjo. And he's instantly like, it's like, they don't even miss those guys last year. Right. It's like, it's like they don't even miss having three NBA caliber guards. Um, but the guy, the, the one that the player that I came away appreciating most was Kendall Brown, like watching Kendall Brown and how he fits into what they do. The fact that they have a guy who one can shoot, of course, but He's such, he's a tweener forward who can get in the paint, rebound, defend, like he's an incredible defender. He's lengthy. He's that perfect. Uh, there was one scoop layup he had in the paint where he like pivoted on his foot in the paint and just like roll it. It's like, that's something they didn't have last year, right? They didn't have, they had, you know, it was a lot of, it was inside out. It was either inside. Out. And so they have that like middle game post game now with him. And you're just like, there's so much length on this team. Like those, the chase down that uh, uh, Meyer had when on Colin Gillespie, where they uh, Villanova had a breakaway, and that that's three for Villanova against any other team. And Matthew Meyer gets back and like deflects it at the three point line, and it's like they go they get away with uh, Villanova ends up with nothing on that fast break. And I don't know, every single possession, you're just you're like, oh right, L.J. Cryer can shoot. Oh right, you know Adam Flagler's still here. Oh right, uh, you know Jonathan X Y and Z like. 
Yeah, yeah. So, uh, Soshan was another one, um, was just like, oh, he's just a guy you just forget about and he's just putting up numbers. And yeah, I don't know. I thought that the defense was incredible, which I guess was the most surprising part to me because I thought the offense would be kind of good and the defense would fall off. Um, but it didn't matter. They shut down Villanova. And this is the Villanova team that, you know, when Colin Gillespie announced he was coming back, I thought it would be, you know, and they probably still are um, a top five or 10 team. Oh, yeah. The, the thing is, you, you mentioned James Kendall and Kendall Brown. Those yeah. two guys are so pivotal to what this team does. And early in the season, I watched them play VCU. I watched, so in the Battle for Atlantis is when I watched them. They played VCU and they played Arizona State. Mm-hmm. Um, both those teams are outside of the top like 60 in Ken Palm, but VCU's defense is really good. I think it's number three, six. Um, and I looked at a Kenjo and, and Brown specifically. I'm like, those are guys that need to improve significantly from that yeah. battle for Atlantis, which is early, early in the season. But still, mm-hmm. I was like, that's where you kind of see it. Cause if a Kenjo's not creating like he did again villain against Villanova, then it puts a lot of pressure on other guards to really step up. And this team is not like last year's team where last year's team stepped on the court from the beginning of the season. We were like, all right, this is the number one team in the country, or this is the top two team in the country. This mm-hmm. is a great team where it's put in, put in the microwave and it's done. You don't have to touch it. This is a team where Scott drew had to instill a defensive identity in two freshmen and Kendall Brown and Jeremy Sokin that I'll be at. They're extremely talented. I mean, obviously Kendall Brown's a five-star, but mm-hmm. by getting them to buy in on the defensive side of the ball, and then getting Matthew Mayer, getting Adam Flagler, who were last year just off the bench uh, spark plugs on offense, getting them to buy in on defense. And then you get bringing James Akinjo, get him to buy in on defense. And now it's like they've already figured it out. Nine games into the year. I wasn't expecting them to figure it out until maybe January. And sure. here we are in early to mid-December. Like this team is the number one team in the country and it's not a fluke. They now have the number two defense in the country, despite turning over a majority of their roster and losing a guy named off night for God's sakes. <laughs> like it's, this is, you mentioned it. This is Scott drew. You can't look at it anymore. I don't want to, I mean, yes, Jay Wright and all of them are great. You have to put him with the Jay Wrights and everybody else in the country at this point. Cause this is the third year in a row where they might have the best team in the country. Yeah. I definitely agree. And one thing watching, looking back on this game and the Gonzaga game last year, obviously a different roster, but still kind of the same thought. I came away thinking or kind of realizing when teams don't have a driving ability consistently, they're losing against Baylor, right? Because last year it was just um, Suggs for Gonzaga. And Villanova really didn't have a driving, a consistent driver, right? That, that and that's typically yeah. not Villanova is more of like a team, like right. I was about to say, yeah, they're, they're, yeah, like even the championship teams, right? Jalen Brunson's not really a driver. He can kind of post you up. He can play make, but even the be- their best teams weren't really didn't have that driving presence. Baylor wants you to kind of play the three point line, right? They want you to kind of get those tough shots in the middle. Cause that's, they know one, they're lengthy enough to meet you at the three point line, which is, I mentioned that my, that mayor block mayor had like two, I think two blocks on the three point line. Um, and somebody like a Kendall Brown and uh, is lengthy enough too to be able to match you out there. So if you're just relying on threes, I think that's a problem. Um, and I, 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 and if you have to kind of set up in the post, I think that's a problem because then they can absolutely swarm you as we saw with what they did with drew Timmy last year. Um, and I, I, I think that, again, I think you need more than one driver and slasher if you're going to beat this Baylor team. Um, I think that, and you mentioned the, you know, how we kind of expected them to not really be clicking until January. I don't think they're going to lose until January, right? Like, because I'm looking at their roster, I'm looking at their schedule. I mean, the first question mark law, the question mark game, I don't even think they might, they might not even lose that. But, you know, they have tech at home on January 11th. Right. That's one. But until then, like, I yeah, don't see I, a loss on the schedule. And the Big 12, I mean, to get into a bigger picture, like the yeah. Big 12, I think is it's better than what I thought it was going to be coming into the year. Iowa State's better. Uh, Oklahoma beat Arkansas, but I don't think Oklahoma is that great. TCU True. beat AM. We'll talk the about that. Game, I will say the one game that does interest me is Alabama, uh, January 29th. We'll talk about Alabama in a bit, but that's a team that obviously relies on threes. 
but that is their game plan, right? That's ab- so I'm wondering how that plays into if that plays into Baylor's defense or if Alabama is just somebody that's just willing to shoot 30, 35 threes if they want to. Yeah. Um, but but basically, till that January stretch of games, you know, this is a Baylor team that doesn't look like they have a weak point right now. <laughs> and and we know from last year that Drew has a culture. Scott Drew has a culture to where they're not going to take games off. Like they yeah. don't. The only reason they lost games last year was because of COVID. Like right, they, they, COVID they didn't break. play for like a month. Like right. it's like we take that out and they beat the hell out of everybody. So this is not a defense that's going to be like all right. Some nights the defense is going to be dominant. Some nights it might allow. 70 points no it's not and another thing is i again i want to reiterate i don't think this team yet is as good as last year's team um and i think a lot of that comes back to the offense they only shot six to 24 from three against villanova i thought they got some good looks and a lot of that will will fall on if matthew mayer and adam flagler get going we've talked about this before Mm -hmm. they're, they're not shooting the ball really well right now if they get going then we can have a conversation comparing them to last year's team. Until sure. that happens, I'm still going to be like, okay, this is this is this isn't quite. Um, and uh, last year's team, we talked about it, it, was one of the best teams ever. Like, so right. there's no, there's nothing shame that you can. This team could win a title the way it's playing right now. But I'm just saying, if we get it to, if we get to the level where Matthew Mayer and Adam Flagler are making shots pretty consistently, I, there's not a team in this country where I think that they're going to be underdogs. And there's not a team in the country that can beat them if they're playing their best basketball. And right. that, I mean, we're, we're, we're midway through the December and we're still trying to figure out who the good teams are in this, in, in the country. Yeah. And obviously I think Baylor, I mean, based off now, it's obvious that Baylor's the best team in the country. Gonzaga has two losses. Kansas has a lot, right. You see these other teams showing weaknesses, Purdue's right? struggling. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so you see these teams with weaknesses and right now, I haven't seen one with Baylor. So, yeah, based off what we know about the overall season, I, I definitely think they have to be the title favorite. Yep. Um, I don't have anything more on this. Uh, but what a – I'm glad it was in Waco, too. It was a fun environment oh, the there. was loud, man. That was a loud yeah. stadium. Yeah. Dickie V on the call. Yep. Uh, man, yeah. Scott Drew over there, friend of the podcast. I think we could yeah. say that. Uh, you <laughs> think he remembers our names? <laughs> um, yours, probably, not mine, because I, yeah, I didn't talk to him. So. <laughs> Oh, that's right. You were on that. You, you did. You, that was that was the that was the Matt Bruni exclusive. Matt, Matt Bruni exclusive on DCTV, <laughs> baby. Uh, yeah, maybe he'll remember my name. All right, uh, let me see. If, check my notes. Uh, Brown and so so. I don't. I know. I don't know how to say his name. Jeremy Sohan. Jeremy So. I heard Sohan on the broadcast. Sohan's way easier to say, so I might just roll with that. But um, I'll have to check the pronunciation guide from Baylor. All right. You want to jump to Texas? Let's From do the Texas, highs yeah, to the lows. Yes, because we'll be talking about Houston Bama for a bit when we yeah. get to them. So let's get yeah. Texas and see the whole out of the way. Texas was kind of when was this? This was 12 9. This was, yeah, this was on what Thursday, I think it was. Yeah. After we recorded the last podcast, um, I watched Texas and Seton Hall. I watched almost all of it. And right from the jump, you could tell Seton Hall was physically imposing they were a team that wasn't really afraid of texas defense and then one thing i realized for the first time and y'all for those who listen to this podcast know i refer to ken palm a lot and i look at ken palm very often Mm -hmm. um i don't know how i've missed this do you know what texas ranks in tempo Hmm. what 353rd Three, I didn't realize that until the Seton Hall game. And then I was like, they're playing. Like, I've watched them before. I've watched Texas before this year, but I've they're never realized never just how slow they play basketball. And yeah. but I guess with the, I mean, the high profile games, you know, the, the only one, the only other high profile game was Gonzaga, which kind of made them get out and run a little bit more. Um, and I feel like Sam Houston, they kind of ran a little bit more, but that was also the gym. That was also the the yeah. that ran, uh, the Moody. Oh, I forgot what the gym was called. Uh, that random gym game like where they game. probably were hyped up. Yeah, and so I feel like those two games. Those are the two games that I watched this year, and I feel like they might have kicked it up a little bit. One because of the opponent in Gonzaga, and then two because of the environment where they played Sam Houston. Yeah, so they lose to Seton Hall, sixty-four to sixty. Texas does. Yeah, and. It was a game dominated in the front court from Texas. Trey Mitchell, Timmy Allen played really well, 19 points and 17 points respectively. They took 32 of the 59 shots. Um, mm-hmm. But with the pace that they played, it really made me, it really made me start questioning this team a, a lot. 
um, because I don't think it's conducive for their guards. And I think the guards that they have are too good to play this slow of a pace, to play this, I don't want to say rudimentary, but like basic style offense. Like it just feels like Marcus Carr, Courtney Ramey, Andrew Jones, who they brought off the bench and played 32 minutes. But those three don't have the freedom that they've had last year. And, and I understand Beard was going to change things, but this feels like he's trying to remake Texas Tech at Texas. Yeah. And that's not ideal for Texas, especially a team that coming into the year, we said has one of the five most talented rosters on the team. Well, they're playing one of the five slowest paces in the country. And that's not something you normally see. Like we've seen slow teams before. We've seen Virginia win a title. Yes. Sure. But we've also seen that Virginia team be instilled in that culture for four plus, like for however many years and have veterans on that team that knew what they were doing, knew what they were executing. Well, also, we, we saw that Virginia team lose in the first round. Exactly. Right? We, like, like when you play that style, you, you put yourself in a situation where if you need to play catch up, you almost don't know how, right? Yeah. And I feel like with this team, one, we should say the Seton Hall is a really good team, right? Yes. They beat, uh, I believe they beat Michigan earlier in the year. Um, and they're obviously one of the top, uh, consistently one of the top mid-majors in the country. Um, so it's not a quote unquote bad loss, but I agree with you that I came away with some, with a lot of questions. Shooting obviously is, is, is a problem, but Seton Hall is actually one of the better three-point percentage defenses in the country. Um, I'm not too worried about that. Um, one thing that I'm worried about right now, and it might go to the tempo thing. I'm not a big Marcus Carr fan. I can um, see that this, this year's like a lot of people that watched him last year. I didn't watch him last right, year are saying right. he's not playing at that level. And right. I do attribute that to beard a little bit. I, I, so, so I think, I think it was Andy Katz or somebody had his uh, top players returning and Carr was like top five. Right. He was like one of the best players he was expecting a, a breakout. And he's, it, it, it hasn't been what we expected. We expect him to be all conference caliber, right? This, this basically, the, I think probably most people expect him to be the leading scorer um, and kind of the lead guard. And he's averaging nine points on 38% shooting. He's leading the team in assists. So maybe that's more of his focus now. It's he almost averaging four assists a game. But you bring in an all conference Big Ten guard who was averaging almost 20. And, you know, he's playing, I'm trying to think, he's playing just less than six minutes a game, less. I mean, that, that's not that much less for that kind of a drop-off. He's shooting yeah. about the same um, from the floor. He's getting to the free throw line less, five less times on average. And I don't know, the offense does, let me put it this way, for, for an offense that does not have a playmaking point guard, I think they do want, they are a little bit too methodical. Um, Marcus Carr obviously can pass and he is a, he is a point guard, right? We've talked about teams that don't have point guards. He yeah. is a point guard, but he's not a playmaking point guard. He's a guy who can score. He's a lead guard who is very good at playmaking to yeah. me. Um, and this game in particular where Texas was really trying to wind down, you know, they were really trying to get the perfect shot. And then a lot of times, I mean, Marcus, I'm pretty sure he didn't shoot well in this game either. A lot of the, yeah, and so a lot of times it came down to Marcus Carr kind of putting up a weird shot in mid-range or something. And I don't know. I, I agree with you. I'm finding a lot of issues um, offensively with this team. I will say something that I did expect that is kind of happening is it's clear that Timmy Allen is their best player. Um, he's their go-to guy. Him and Trey Mitchell are finally getting chemistry um, offensively, um, and they're kind of asserting themselves as the guy. I really expected Timmy Allen to be that. Chris Beard, the next incarnation of Jarrett Culver and, and yeah. Zaire Smith and those guys. And he's kind of becoming that. Um, but yeah, the guard play is an issue and it's an issue because they have so much depth there that I'm wondering, like, our decisions going to have to start being made, right? Like, are you going to have to play Devin Askew a little bit more, right? Are you going to have to play Ramey a little bit more? You know, I, I'm wondering how the balance is going to turn out once this gets in a conference play. I think that's a great point to build off of because we went into the season saying they got 11 guys who could start. <laughs> right, right. And now we're looking at them. It's like, oh, where, two of those guys could probably play a little less. Like, I'm not like, saying bench Marcus yeah, Carr, but, you know, like where, he'd be playing some less minutes. Yeah. So now we're looking at where only seven guys played only over six minutes. 
yeah. against Seton Hall in a non-conference game in December. Like yeah. this isn't this isn't a tournament game. You don't have to play only seven guys. And one of those guys is Jace Fevers, who I mean, I think is good still, but didn't attempt a shot or didn't have a field goal attempt in 18 mm-hmm. minutes, had one rebound, no assists, no turnovers, almost pulled a Tony Snell. Um, <laughs> but I'm I'm just saying it's like the De- Devin Askew has to has to play in my opinion i think you have to figure yeah. a way out to get him comfortable Kristen bishop it would be great if you could get him going mm-hmm. um I, I still think brock cunningham can play a role at times yeah. the thing is is that their front court i feel like is set you don't want to take mitchell and allen off the court and then in the back court you have veteran guys who have done it for so long that you're like all right well they'll just play themselves out of it or they'll they'll figure it out and right. beard again great coach has done a lot at Texas tech. Um, you know, I, I still think he is the right man for the job. I think he's a great coach, but I don't, I wasn't expecting him to come in and here and be like, no, we're going to play slow. We're going to defend the hell out of people. I feel like once you get to this level, you got to understand the athletes you're handling here. You have to understand sure. the players you have. I, Go ahead. I, I just, I just think that's him. I just think that's his style. You know, he, he brings that. That was the thing with him at tech, right? His offenses are ugly. He's not and at tech anymore. You I don't, know why? It's like it's like if I, I give that. you no, I a, a million dollars, you don't have to live like this anymore. You, you can buy a new shirt. What are you saying, man? You can what buy a new about shirt, my shirt, man. <laughs> like, what are you saying about my shirt? What's going like, on? No. Yeah, you got all these all conference players here, man. Just yeah, uh, just let them play a little bit and see what you have. At least early in the season, you can tighten up as the year goes on. But it's so much harder right. when you start tight and you try to loosen up. Like that's. That this it's it's very interesting. I think it lowers the ceiling of this team significantly. I I, I am curious to see because I mean you know you mentioned the schedule with Baylor. This Texas team isn't probably going to be tested until they get to conference either. Actually, I can tell you they're not going to get tested until they get to conference. And at that point, I mean the toughest part of their conference schedule isn't. I'll tell you right now, it is not until February. Like that's when they play Tech, and because they miss out on TCU Tech or sorry, they missed out on Tech, Baylor, and Kansas until February. So, like, I feel like this is going to be a team that might be in, a, in for a wake-up call because the high in Ken Palm, at least, the highest-rated team they're going to play until that February f- uh, 1st game against Tech is Iowa – no, Oklahoma at 36, and then Iowa State at 50. And that's kind of like that's – And I don't even think Oklahoma's great. Prob- they're probably not that great either. And so – I feel like this is a team that's going to be in for a rude awakening that I think, you know, they'll be fine as in like, they'll beat the teams they need to beat. I think that's the one thing that yes, Chris Beard's kind of known for is that he doesn't play down to competition. Right. Um, and so I feel like they'll hammer teams that those should hammer, but I, I do feel like there are some questions when they play teams like a Seton hall, who's really good at defending the three point line and they need something. And, you know, against that, uh, they were, they ended up shooting, they didn't taking a bunch of bad shots. And so, I mean, Baylor, we just talked about Baylor. Baylor is going to absolutely frustrate them. Tech's going to frustrate them. Um, and by the way, that February 1st game's at Tech. And you, so, you know, that's going to be a huge game for that program. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I agree. I think there are questions with this team. I think a lot of their best games have, basically all their best games have come against teams that they, they should beat. you know, that they're, they're clearly better than. And it was their first, I believe it was their first real road test of the year. Um, well, besides Gonzaga. Gonzaga besides Gonzaga. Right, right. So. But still, the, 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 that's their only two. And so, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. Again, it's a four-point loss, but I do take away a lot of issues that I saw with this team. And in the positives I mentioned, I did like, I do like Timmy Allen and, and Trey Mitchell. I think they're really good. I think that can, that that is their front court. Don't touch that. Um I do wonder about Dylan DeSue. Is he still battling injury? Because he, yeah, I like, so. Yeah, so like, I wonder if he's gonna, he'll help out with, you know, if they can put Christian Bishop and him out there a little bit, um, to you know at least alleviate some of the pressure on their starting front court. But another thing to watch out for is I think Trey, uh, Trey Mitchell's a good offensive rebounder, and they were they were pretty good in the glass. But um, Tyrese Samuel kind of ate their lunch as well on the glass. He was a big team. Yeah, they were. They yeah. Were- him up a little bit out rebounded him yeah, um so. here's a stat of the top 40 teams in ken palm here are the list of teams that are over 300th ranked in tempo all right mm-hmm. just compare texas talent to these guys yeah. all right 
Um, Villanova is one of them. And I think Texas is more talented than Villanova. And Villanova, like we talked about against Baylor, isn't one of those teams that's going to overwhelm you with athleticism. Sure. Colin Gillespie, go down the list. All right, that's one. Villanova, um, Loyola Chicago. Mm-hmm. We know how they play. We know who they are. Uh, Virginia Tech and St. Mary's. Those are the only other four in the top 40 of Ken Palm that play at 300 or below tempo. And I'll, I'll say to your point, the thing about Villanova and Loyola are that even though they play a slow, quote unquote, slow tempo in the half court, that ball is moving around, right? That ball like Villanova will have six passes and get a wide open shot from three and do a three man weave. And, you know, right. Exactly. Back cuts, three man weave, Colin Gillespie's open for three, right? That movement isn't happening either at Texas. So, yep. yeah. I mean, Wisconsin's 289. I think te- Texas is just from athletic standpoint is planets beyond Wisconsin. Sure. I, I just, I don't know. I'm looking at it. That's not something I was expecting coming into the year where that they would be that, that low in tempo. So, mm-hmm. um, well, it's something to watch. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. I'm a little, um, a lot more nervous about Texas than I was two weeks ago. That's. I mean, sure. they've lost both the good get both team the good teams they play. <laughs> yeah. So. Yep. All right, let's talk some women's basketball. The only real women's game, women's basketball game that stood out to me this week, mm-hmm. and boy, we were in for a treat. Uh, we didn't know we were going to be in for a treat. I think I said I in the last not. podcast, I said there was going to be a double-digit double win for Texas, um, and I was wrong. I was wrong. For Texas A&M, you mean? Texas A&M. I'm sorry, Texas yeah. A&M. Uh, maybe TCU went in there and hung up my quote on on the in the locker room. <laughs> you give him bulletin You give him Reagan Peebley bulletin board, bulletin board, board material? For. That's what I was looking for. Bulletin board. And <laughs> TCU goes in. Or no, they were at home. They yeah. host Texas A&M and they beat the brakes off Texas A&M and Gary Blair's team. They go up 41 to 22 in the first half. And I think I texted you. I was like, are they going to put up a hundred points on Texas A&M? <laughs> and they almost did. They win 87 to 75. TCU beats Texas A&M. A TCU team we, we said coming into the year, and we've said throughout this season, uh, has some talent. Mm-hmm. Lauren Hurd's amazing. We love Lauren Hurd. Um, you know, Tavi Diggs has, hasn't played as well this year as she has in years past. Um, we like some pieces, but we did not think that they could beat Texas A&M. And lo and behold, they beat them handily. So before we get into some of the issues, I think are starting to come up with the Aggies. Um, yeah, I do want to credit and uh, TCU because I remember we t- you texted me at halftime. You're like, all right, what's the final score? Because like, you know, they were up by a lot. And it was like, oh, you know, Gary Blair is going to make some adjustments. And I think we both had like a six to eight point win. Right. Yeah. They were like, oh, Gary Blair is going to make some adjustments. They'll, you know, they'll start hitting the shot and I will start hitting their threes again. And they lose by 12. Like, it's like, it's like it doesn't, it doesn't close. The, yeah. the gap doesn't close. They don't, sh- uh, AM does not shoot from three very well. This is probably their worst shooting game of the year. Yeah. And TCU, like, they, they're able to get inside. They out, re- they double, they almost double them up on the boards. That was shocking to me. Yeah. Right. Like, filthy on the boards. And yeah, we, we kind of saw that the, the Lauren Hurd that we were hoping to see this year, the all conference caliber, one of the best guards in the state showed up. And I mean, we had, we were questioning kind of where this TCU team was. They were a little slow to start the season. It was like, okay, we're, we were, we were optimistic about them. Remember, cause we were talking about uh, what they had coming back and Lauren Hurd being that, that, that alpha. And it was like, okay, well they got the pieces, but it wasn't really playing out. They lost to Tulane. They lost to a good North Carolina. They lost to Cal Baptist. You're like, all right, I don't know what's actually happening. I don't know. Then they just beat a ranked A&M team in a game. They just controlled wire to wire. That was, that was fun to watch. I texted you when it was 14, three. Right. Yeah, you were like, like, oh, good start. Yeah. Like, good, good oh job, my guys. gosh, this is, this is cool. Like, good. We got a game over here. Yeah. And then it just never stopped. TCU just poured it on. Uh, Lauren, never became a game. <laughs> Lauren Hurry got to the free throw line 21 times, made yeah. 18 of them. And I thought that was really representative of TCU being a step quicker than AM the entire game. Like, just mm-hmm. from start to finish, the rebounding, like you mentioned, shows that as well. They, I don't want to say they wanted it more, but it's what it looked like because every time the ball hit the ground, they were faster. They mm-hmm. were there. And AM, 
we talked about their interior, their lack of interior presence. And this isn't taking away anything because I, I do think uh, Sydney Roby's a good player. Uh, sure. 20 minutes, uh, five of five shooting. She's a good offensive player. But the, the forward position is a real concern for Texas A&M moving forward. Yeah. Like we know about the guards, Kayla Wells, Jordan Nixon, uh, Destiny Pitts, Aaliyah Patty. Awesome. Good players. Kadasha Hobby. Hoppy, uh, good players, but like the way TCU was getting inside and freely just cutting, screening, driving, anything mm-hmm. they wanted in the paint, I was very, very concerned. I don't let me see. I have the stat here. Let's see how many points in the paint. They end up with 34 points in the paint to AM's 40, and they shot eight of 23 from three, got to the line 32 times. And the thing is, it wasn't even as close as a 12 point game because AM started coming back at the end. Mm-hmm. And they outscored him by six in the fourth quarter. So, like in the third quarter, where we thought the run was going to come from AM, it didn't. It was basically the same score after the third quarter. Yeah. And it just represented a game that AM had really no chance in from at any point. Yeah. I, I, I think defensively, <clears throat> there is an issue because, you know, Lauren Hurd was able to get anything she wanted inside. Um, she was able to drive and get to the free throw line. They got, I mentioned they almost got doubled up on the rebounds. Um, and it seemed like, again, this team is this team won't have a. I, I feel fairly confident in saying they won't have a very many three for thirteen nights from three point land, but it just shows that how much they rely on that, right? Because Jordan Nixon was the only one that was really hitting. Hoppy had one, but uh, Hoppy had one three pointer. But when they couldn't stop TCU from scoring anything, and so they needed to continue to rely on that outside shot to be able to play catch up. And when it wasn't hitting and they couldn't get stops, it was just kind of a recipe for disaster. So I'm, I think one credit to TCU because they really did hit that ceiling that we were kind of, uh, we kind of wanted them to hit at the beginning of the year, but I do wonder about AM's defense now in offensively. I think they'll be okay inside. I really yeah. do. I think their guard plays good enough. I think their forwards are good enough on scoring, but defensively that is an issue that is a really big issue tcu is not afraid and tcu is not a big team they're a decently sized team they're they're not going to get bullied but and and m typically has been the team where in tra- just traditionally under gary blair we're like oh they're bigger they're just going to bully you and they're going to win the rebounding battle battle they're going to force you to take bad shots cuz you don't want to drive and that's not it right now um yeah i don't know it this is something to put in the pen to kind of watch out for later. Cause part of me wants to say, you know, eh, bad performance, see where it goes from here. But looking at their stats, uh, AM stats, they're 166th and 166th in defensive rebounding rate and 142nd in offensive rebounding rate. So they, and they are 267th in offensive rebounds per, allowed per game. So that is an issue. They are genuinely a bad rebounding team and a, a bad team at preventing teams from uh, getting second chances. So um, as we, you know, this isn't going to be the SEC of last year where they're going to, you know, kind of just like by committee be the best team in the conference. This is going to be a team that's going to struggle against Kentucky, going to struggle against Louis uh, LSU. Um, and yeah, I'm that, that, I don't know. This is a team that I'm really worrying about as far as, um, I don't want them to fall kind of out of the top race in the SEC, but it's, it's the signs are starting to be there. Yeah. What were the two teams that you, that you said in the SEC? You said uh, uh, Kentucky, LSU. And of course, I, I didn't mention, I didn't mention South Carolina and, and Tennessee and Tennessee. Yeah. Jeez, like, it's just like, you know, it, you could blink and this team could be fifth out of those. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. Yep. you definitely could. Um, last thing I think I'll say uh, they are 54th in defensive rating in the country at this point, which is definitely not up to their standard. And we'll see. We'll see how it goes. At one point it was 60 to 31 in the third quarter. So yeah, that tells was, you everything you need. So I, I think it was, if it was weird watching the game. Cause like, again, we just kept expecting something to turn around. You're like, okay, well, here's, here's the timeout where, you know, they fix it or yep. here's the halftime where they fix And it just never happened. And the game was over. You're like, Oh, I, I guess they just lost. <laughs> Yeah, I, that's, that's, that's exactly right. That's exactly what happened. Uh, that was my feeling on it. Let's talk about uh, Houston, Alabama men's. Oh, An incredibly okay. fun game. 
just an amazing game from start to finish. And it ends with, in my opinion, a incorrect call. And if you asked or no Calvin, call. Calvin Sampson, yeah, an incorrect no call on a goaltending opportunity uh, that would have given Houston the win. Um, or maybe, I think how much time? There was like less than a second left if it would have been called. Mm-hmm. It was a packed house in the Coleman Coliseum in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. And Houston ends up losing 82 to 83 to Alabama. And the Tide are, not for nothing, one of the top 10 teams in the country to me and pretty yeah. comfortably. I don't know where they are in the AP poll right now. I want to say eighth or seventh, something like that. But that is also an Alabama team that just beat Gonzaga 91 to 83 pretty impressively. And now Houston had to go over there and play them on the road and they lose by one. And in my opinion, they beat them. But what do we make of this result from Houston? I'm very encouraged because I mentioned, I think I mentioned on the last show, I was like, what's it look like when Houston plays a team like Arkansas that wants to push the tempo? You know, they, they basically only shoot threes or get layups. That's kind of their, their whole MO. Um, what happens when they play a team that's just absolutely committed to kind of the most efficient basketball? Um, because obviously Houston's not necessarily committed to the most efficient yes. basketball. Um, what happens when that defense is tested? And the answer is, I mean, defensively, they were fine, right? I, I think when you play Alabama, you're you're gonna get they're gonna put up, they're gonna put up shots, right? They're gonna put up shots, you're gonna hit shots. And it's just about kind of matching them in some way. And they did. And Marcus Sasser, one, is that dude. Uh, I think that's very clear that one big shot, uh, the top of the key in like the final minute was just like that. That's what you want him doing um, Two, Jamal shed should still start. Cause I, I think that offense just moves so much better when he starts. And I think he's, he's just brought so much more to that offense and allowing Marcus Sasser to play off the ball. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I, I was really encouraged. Obviously the goal 10, you know, it is what it is. Uh, unfortunately, it was a goaltend. Um, it seems like every everybody's rightfully talking about how that was. It, apparently, it wasn't reviewable either, which yeah. apparently, uh, according to Kelvin Sampson, didn't get explained to Sasser because there was that video of Sasser going, not, not chasing the refs, but like following the refs as they're leaving. And apparently, they didn't like tell him. Like they just kind of walked away. So it just felt kind of bad on his part. Like he's just like, he just saw the ref not make a call and leave. And so, yep. according to Sampson, he didn't tell them that, hey, we can't review that play. Um, which is just weird because we're, we're micromanaging the game so much. And for that not to be a reviewable is just weird. Right. Apparently if they would have called it a go goaltend, it could have been reviewable. Or if they would have huddled up after the buzzer to call it a goaltend, it would have been reviewable, but not if they didn't call it. Yeah. Very weird. I don't know. Frustrating, obviously, but I come away really impressed with Houston. They were able to match one of the best offensive teams in the country still play their style, right? They they were just putting up shots and just like uh, getting offensive rebounds. I think they finished with 20 or 21, 21. offensive boards. Like, and uh, I don't know. They I think Houston is just as good potentially as last year. I really do. Um, again, we I had quite, I was really worried about this game. I was really worried. Like Alabama's a team that's set up to light this kind of team up. And it didn't happen. They're fifth in de- uh, uh, Ken Palm has them fifth in defense, Houston. And 15th in effective field goal percentage. So this is a team that can score efficiently, get the ball out, still rebound, still not turn the ball over. And I don't know. I think they're putting the pieces together to make a similar run to what they did last year. I I have so many thoughts in my head. I'm trying to disperse them. I know there was so much that happened in this game because we're so encouraged. But by the way, they lost because of that call. Like I'm... I'm that I have, I have so many. All right. Yeah. Start with, let's start with, I'm gonna start with the big picture thing. Uh, this team's, I think we talked about before the season that we were worried about this team's floor, not being as high as last year's floor because the defense and rebounding, but you know, they have right. a lot more scores. So maybe the ceiling could be higher. Right. And I think we're seeing the ceiling is higher with this team. I was debating with one of my friends uh, yesterday. I just look at this backcourt differently than I looked at bat last year's backcourt. Yes, mm-hmm. Jerome um, and Grimes were great, and you still had Sasser on the team, But I'm, and, and Sasser averaged double digits. Mm-hmm. Last year, he wasn't a nobody, but 
we saw in the tournament, he, they didn't need him. Yeah. Right. This year you have Sasser shed and Edwards. And I trust those three, the way that they are playing, not more than Quentin Grimes as individuals, but more as a unit and more as an offense than I did last year. I think their ceiling is higher there. And then that's not without even getting to the front court, which I think is more talented. I mean, no, no offense to uh, Gresham or not Gresham from last year. Um, Gorham. Yeah, Gorham from last year. But Fabian White being 100% and being full, full this season. I mean, he goes one to two from three, five, nine from the field for 11 points. Um, I think Reggie Chaney is a, is a fine player, only two points, obviously. But then Josh Carlton off the bench from the UConn transfer, 14 points on five of seven shooting. He's a skilled guy. And so you have the scoring. I think the offense, the offensive ceiling is getting to where we thought it could be with this team. And I think Marcus Sasser is obviously getting to where we thought he could be with this team. And then you get to the other aspects. We're like, okay, the defense and the rebound. The defense, A, held Alabama to seven of 18 three-point shooting. One of the worst nights you'll see from them. Uh, I think in the loss to Iona, they shot something. I don't remember what it was. Something out of 17. They only mm-hmm. shot 17 three. So similar type of performance. But this was faster pace in that Iona game. And yeah. Alabama had more opportunities. And Houston was just everywhere. Houston was a complete bother to them. And then you go to the rebounding, which – I'll, I still don't think it's at last year's level, but Jawan Roberts ends with 13 rebounds and nine of them are on offense. Fabian White, six rebounds, four are on offense. Um, Josh Carlton, six and three are on offense. And this team is now getting that identity. And it feels like what we, what we saw with Baylor, where it's just like, you know, both teams had a lot of turnover, both teams bring in new players they were like okay that could work in theory but we have to see how it plays out and baylor what did they do baylor is now completely in their system under scott drew they are defending mm-hmm. they're doing what everything that they've did last year um to an extent and now we're seeing the same thing with houston they're starting to look like last year's houston team except in my opinion they have a little bit more offensive versatility they're playing a much faster pace than last year and i'm I leave this game saying this is one of the top 10 teams in the country to me. And I I've seen a lot of teams in this country play. And I think this is one of the top 10 at this moment. I I definitely agree. I think that this kind of, this kind of performance against a team that, I mean, is probably the favorite to win the sec, right. At this rate. um, I think that for how many questions we had about them. Right. And they're they're still not answered. Right. Is this, is this still an offense that can fully gel for multiple for a stretch of games? You know, I don't know. Was this just kind of a, a, a force of instinct playing another team that's going to push you offensively? Maybe, but the fact that they have this in them, uh, Tremont Mark is still working into back in the yeah. rotation, right? They, they can't keep playing him. What did he play five minutes yesterday or whatever? They can't, he's going to have to, I mean, he's somebody who you theoretically would assume is going to be a double digit minutes guy eventually. Um, yeah. And so, you know, what, what's the lineup look about, like with him back in? Um, you know, what's what happens when they play a team like that can defend them a little better, right? We saw them, we unfortunately, we mentioned the last year's run kind of hitting the wall against Baylor because they haven't, they weren't really tested up until that point. And so what's it look like when you play a team that can test you a little bit more defensively, right? Um, they'll see that probably with, I think they have Oklahoma State coming up. Um, we'll, they'll see a little bit more probably hit before the tournament. But Right now, considering what they lost and what, where we kind of maybe thought they would be, man, yeah, I agree. This is this is definitely a top 10 team in the country. Last year, they ranked 154th in effective field goal percentage. This year, they ranked 15th. Yeah. This is, this, is, this is a very potent offensive team that is not, like you said, I don't think they're con- going to be consistent enough yet. Yeah. But they, they don't need to be consistent at the moment. Like that, think, that's, what March, made- that's what we worried about in March. Yeah, we they made the right moves. We talked about Jamal Shedd being that point guard. Um, I think they made the right moves putting him, Edwards, and Sasser together. Um, kind of make Edwards a secondary playmaker, kind of make Sasser the tertiary primary scorer, um, tertiary playmaker, primary scorer. Like I, I think they I think Kelvin Sampson is getting the balance right. And I mean, if they just continue that through March, I mean, geez, I I'm excited to see where this offense goes from here. Yeah, I'm trying to we, we watched them play, I watched them play um in that Maui Invitational 
Mm-hmm. And that that stretch of Butler, Wisconsin, Oregon, and it was like, okay, yeah, this Houston team looks good. Like they're pushing a little bit more, but the rebounding didn't quite look the same to me. And this was the first game where I was like, they were because I remember, I'll never forget. Yeah, I'll never forget last year when I first started watching Houston. We started this podcast up, and um, I had watched Houston play before, but I never, you know, really watched Houston. And yeah. I'm like, yo, these dudes like their heads are at the rim going for rebounds. Like they're every, and there's four of them. There's four dudes, just heads at the rim going for rebounds every single possession. Mm-hmm. And this is the first game where it kind of reminded me of that, that last year's team. And that's where I'm like, Oh my gosh, yep. we've done it again. <laughs> it's just crazy. These dudes are crazy. Yep. So um, let's see. I think that's all I got. Turnovers, forcing turnovers, blocks on defense. Uh, Sasser is the difference. Like you said, He's the guy that's going to have to score with these with these elite teams. When they play other top 15, 20 teams in the country, Sasser is going to have to have 15-plus points a night against those right. teams. So that'll be interesting. All right, those are the four big games uh, that we have. And not to take anything away from this other next game we're going to talk about, um, but I did not watch it, and I believe you didn't watch it either. But it was a game that we talked about on the last podcast, TCU and Texas A&M men's. Yep. Ish. Uh Lo and behold, TCU completes the sweep. The men join the women. Uh, TCU defeats Texas A&M 68 to 64 in a game that, like I said, we didn't see. And TCU uh, led in the first half 33 to 23, ends up winning by four. And I'm looking at this, and you had 29 com- threes combined taken from these two teams. Again, not two great offensive teams by any means, mm-hmm. and kind of a lower scoring game. And I think you predicted an AM win. I predicted a TCU win. So what do you have yeah. to say? I are you I selling AM? Be... Man, am I finally selling AM? Uh, the, the price is just dropping. I know I, the price is I, 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 sell them? I haven't sold them. I'm I'm holding out. I'm holding out. On what? TCU or no on AM. I have on AM you're holding out. I don't know what I'm holding out for. They're not going to do anything <laughs> in the SEC, but I'm just going to wait. wait, wait I will, I'll hold a little bit. They shot, AM shot eight of 18 from the free throw line. Right. Not great. <laughs> That's awful. Right. That's awful. Wait, are you saying that as like a, oh, they, they could have won the game if they, they shot. They could have won the game. game. I don't know. No. But I, I, again, I'll, I'll hold on because again, I, I don't know. I, I'm, these are two teams that I've been, I guess I was, I was obviously optimistic on AM. Um, and I thought they would kind of beat a TCU team that I was really questioning because I don't think they've really played anybody. Um, yeah. But, yeah, they didn't. So I guess it's just me stubbornly holding on, but I'm going to I'm gonna hold on. I'm going to be selling for – it's going to be negative negative value when they get blown yeah. out by Arkansas. But. <laughs> when they get like a random win in, in February. Uh, right, right. Selling after a yeah. win would be hilarious. Yeah. Um, <sighs> Yeah, that AM. What was I gonna say? I'm still laughing at your eight of eighteen from a free throw line point as it being a good thing. Like, oh, they 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 hung in there despite going eight of eighteen. I mean, I should I should line. say they're not very good. They're like, let me see. It looks like they shoot sixty three percent as a team <laughs> for the year. So that's that's probably not a great point. So yeah, I'm just gonna say I'm gonna be stubborn. I'm gonna hold on to my AM stock because I still think they're pretty good. So. Well, or at least um, not bad. I don't want to say pretty good because go. they'd probably not be pretty good. There you go. Uh, Marcus Williams is 16 points. Uh, Quinn Jackson, 13 points. Uh, Quinn Jackson only played 25 minutes, which is prob- weird. Um, oh, he fouled out. There you go. Yeah, and with five turnovers. So I'm not going to go any longer on this uh, thing because we didn't watch it, but uh, just wanted to get that result out to y'all real quick right. while we were doing this. <laughs> um, there is a There is a game – going on today on the women's side that I was going to mm-hmm. bring up. I do not remember which one it is. It is UTEP and Texas state women. Yes. That was going to be fascinating. That's an interesting game. Do we have any predictions? Because I think on paper, I, I would assume UTEP to be a slight favorite, like three or four point favorite. I was going to see what her hoop stats has. Um, Cause I feel like, I don't say falling UTEP off the hasn't wrong been word, as right? great. UTEP I was going to say neither great. team has been as consistent as we maybe thought. Yeah. Um, let me see. But Texas State, they, they've shown flashes enough to where. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, let me see if I have, if I can bring up the her hoop stats really quick. UTEP's 5-1, and one, just lost to Kansas. 
Um, mm-hmm. Beat Seattle by five. Beat Northern Arizona by ten. New Mexico State by fifteen. So I mean, we have some. Okay. They haven't really played many play people, but the last right. two games have been postponed. So they haven't played since November twenty seventh. UTEP. So and it's in San Marcos. So home court advantage, if you will. That is true. That is true. Uh, her hoop stat has this as a uh, – it has UTEP as a favorite. Okay. Um, I think – I'm trying to think which loss for Texas State. It was one performance that text, for Texas State that probably made it pretty bad on them. Um, oh, they lost to Lamar this weekend. That's right. Oh. Um, I didn't and so that, that might be – that might be something that's being countered against them, unsurprisingly. I would probably – I'll probably go UTEP. Um, just based off of recent performance, but it wouldn't surprise me to text day one. I'll say that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be, I will say just for the point guard battle, I'm going to be really fascinated by this, right? Katia Gallegos versus Kennedy Taylor um, guarding each other, obviously on both ends too. So, but I feel like the more efficient offense is UTEP right now. So I'm going to go with them. I agree. I agree. Um yeah, Texas State's kind of hit a little bit of a lull here um, since, I mean, they beat UTSA. They lost to Tech by 26, barely beat Houston Baptist, loses to Lamar by four. This is going to be a big game for Texas State. They're going to have to get something going here before conference starts up. So we'll keep UTA, our eye on it. UTA is looking like a machine. Oh, yeah. Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, that's all we got for you all today. Uh, this is well, this was a really fun, fun podcast. And – one that I feel like we covered uh, a lot of the best teams in the state, especially on the men's side. Yep. Um, no real crazy action um, on the women's side outside of that AM game uh, that, I, that I saw, at least when I was looking through everything. Um, nothing, I don't think there's anything outside of the game that we just talked about. I don't think there's anything um, really standout this week. Uh, Texas Tech plays Gonzaga on the 18th. Um, Texas Tech plays LSU women uh, on the 21st. Um, Ish has obviously the um, state championship games. So probably just doing another podcast on next Monday. Yeah, probably so. Um, we'll see if we can well, – actually, let's see if we can probably get Justin on too, uh, see if there's anything yeah, we standing out to him about the season so far. Yeah, about we'll see if there's season. any – we'll see if there's any games that br- really break out to us over this stretch. But yep. it might be a little bit more of a quiet stretch, and maybe we'll have Justin on for the next podcast and maybe get some uh, questions from Twitter and whatnot as well. So cool. that's the plan. Uh, we thank you all for joining us. Uh, you can check us out at textbasketball.com. You can check us out on, I mean, wherever you get your podcast, Apple, Spotify. And yeah, you can follow Ishmael on Twitter at Ishmael R. Johnson. Follow me on Twitter at Matthew Bruni underscore. And follow Dave Campbell's text basketball at DCT Basketball. So we thank you all for joining us. We'll talk to you later. <laughs>